You are listening to Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, a weekly radio program that spotlights positive real estate development, neighborhood revitalization, and more throughout Philadelphia. I'm your host, Derek Hengemill. Jumpstart Philly is a unique community development program that trains, mentors, networks, and provides funding to aspiring real estate developers in seven different Philadelphia neighborhoods, including Germantown, where the program was founded. Jumpstart believes that you can do well by doing good and focuses on removing neighborhood blight, scattered site rehab, creating a healthy mix of affordable and market rate housing, and avoiding gentrification through slow, steady growth and keeping wealth local. Interviews are conducted during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jump in Our series, held Monday nights at 7 p.m., and they are on Zoom webinar. For more information about these event, events, check out the events page at jumpstartgermantown.com. And this week, I am speaking with Maureen and Christina from H&H Settlement Services about the title process and to help us walk through the steps of how new and aspiring developers can obtain title insurance for their investment properties. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and be sure to check out the podcast version of this program at jumpstartgermantown.com slash media. Christina Rossner has been in the title industry for 30 years. She's worked in positions ranging from settlement clerk to owner of her own company. She comes from a culture of customer care and problem solving, and she, she and the team at H&H strive to meet their customers' expectations throughout the clothing, closing process. Maureen has had 25 years experience in the real estate industry and joined H&H in 2014, shortly after they opened their doors in Glenside. She has been promoted in January 2021 to the Vice President of Finance, and she has a background in office management, relocation, closing services, and title production. And uh, I apologize for some of the audio quality throughout the, the, um, the show today, but uh, I hope you can bear with us. Sometimes internet connection is not on our side, and uh, I think it is audible enough, uh, but I'll be sure to, to take care of it for future um, jumping ours and future podcasts. So thanks for bearing with us. And I hope you enjoy the conversation. Um, so, so we'll start simple here, and uh, you know, start at the very basic. Uh, and I like to do that with with the definitions of some of these topics we cover. Um, let's start simple and go over the terminology. What what does title mean? Um, what, what does it? So mean? I have this one. Um, title insurance uh, protects against the risks of financial harm that arises from claims against the rights of ownership of real property. Now, I got that from we as title licensed title agents have to take continue education, just like the realtors and the attorneys do. So I remember doing a uh, class and it started out with what is title insurance? So I looked up the uh, their definition. Again, it protects against the risk of financial harm that arises from claims against the against the rights of ownership of real property. Examples of items that could cause such claims include forgery, improper transfers of title, mistakes, fraud, and unknown heirs with rights to the property. Right. <clears throat> and insurance is, pur- is purchased to protect the interest of the owners, lenders in real property. Okay, so is it synonymous with the word deed? Uh, use them interchangeably, or is that a is it synonymous with the word deed? Yeah. No. Okay. No. Um, and, and what 
And then you kind of just explain there what title insurance is. And title insurance is basically just insurance on the title that you have of a house, right? Correct. From the time we do the search to, uh, say, 60 years back. It doesn't work like um, homeowners insurance or car insurance. Title ins- owners, title coverage um, sticks with you throughout the, the time you own the house. If you sell the house, you don't have any more owner's coverage on that house. And you only pay it once. It's just a, a one-time fee. You don't have to pay it monthly, annually, or anything. And it's a search that's done from the time we got the title order to like 60 years back. So basically, if a buyer buys a house, goes to settlement June 30th, and come August 1st, the county slaps a tax claim sale on their house. Now, this buyer's like, whoa, wait a minute. I just bought this house. How can I go out for tax sale? I got title insurance. I was told I got clear and marketable title. Well, that's why you would need the title company. You come back to us. We the one clearing it. You don't have to handle it. Right. You know, you, you yeah. like those type of things. If somebody comes out from the woodwork and says, you know what? You're really living in my grandmom's house and I want you out. That's what title insurance comes into play. So, right. And it's important because it, it, it's a long lasting, uh, not document, but it's a, it's a, it has a lot of implications because it's, it's, it's very, very important to get title insurance. Um, and I would hate to see any of your clients who wouldn't get owner's coverage. I mean, if they are getting a mortgage through Jumpstart, they have to get lender's coverage because you guys won't won't um, continue with the mortgage unless you guys have clear and marketable title as well. It's yeah. it, it, I, I don't know how, how much more I can say how important it is. Sure. Um, Maybe you can t- t- tell it in reverse and, and let me ask you, what, what would happen if you didn't get title insurance? What's like a worst case scenario? So if, you, if they didn't get title insurance, and that um, air comes out of the woodwork. You, you're going to have you're going to lose your house because you don't have title you have insurance. To defend yourself. Yeah, you have nothing, nothing to stand on. If the tax, if the county comes out and says, you know what, you got to get out in 30 days unless you pay me fifteen thousand dollars in back taxes. Um, if you if you don't have title insurance, that's on you. That's on you to pay the bill if you want to keep the house. Yeah. So, so it sounds like every single project needs to go through the title process, no, no matter how big or small. Right? Um, does I think your last question was, does every single project need to go through this title pro- process? Okay. I would say yes. Um, however, if your client or the developer or investor wants to waive their title insurance, there's no point in having H&H involved, mm-hmm. you know, because... Yeah. I mean, we're, we can't really, we can't only, we can't just do a closing without issuing title insurance because then um, we'd be like practicing law and we're not attorneys. There you go. All right. Um, so, so my next topic here, my next question is, is about the process and where it initiates uh, from the developer's perspective, like from somebody who just you know, bought a home or has an agreement of sale on a house and is ready to, to get involved in real estate development. Um, what's the first thing that we need to decide within the title process? And I, and I think, from my understanding, it's about you know, how they're going to buy it and with what money, right? <laughs> yeah, so um, I would say that it's very important to decide how they want to take ownership. Because if you're going to take ownership as an individual that has um, its own kind of guidelines that you'll be following for qualifying, for insuring, for liability on the property, especially if you're gonna rent it out. 
um, those type of things, tax implications. And so you have to decide, are you going to do that as an individual or are you going to create an entity for your project and your purchase? And that entity then has its own other set of guidelines that you would need, of course, regarding insurance and financing. Um, you would need to decide if you're setting up a new entity or if it's an entity you already have created, does that entity allow you to buy and sell real estate? You can't just say, oh, I had an entity from when I ran my you know, candy shop because that entity was only given um, regulations to run a candy shop. So your entity and your documents have to state that you have the ability to buy and sell real estate. And then those forms, those documents all need to be provided to the title company. And it's more important when you go to sell um, than it is purchasing, because when you go to sell, you have to make sure that the right partners or the right members, um, depending on if you've set up an LLC, a partnership, an Inc., what that is. And are you incorporated in Pennsylvania? Are you incorporated in Delaware? There's different tax advantages. And all of those things you would want to talk to your tax accountant about, but it's really vital that you take title in the manner in which you feel is best for you for your um, purposes of the project, whether it's going to be retaining it and renting it and declaring rental income and things like that, or you're just flipping houses and are you doing that as an individual or an entity that does that? Right. So sort of sounds like everything stems off that initial decision. So yeah. It would be really bad and, and misfortunate if you got halfway through and decided, oh, no, I want to purchase with my individual. Right? Yeah, and that does occur. People, you know, start out as an individual and then all of a sudden, oh, I got some guidance and I feel like I need to, you know, create an entity. And most people do an LLC per project, um, you know, whatever your guidance is and whatever your financials, you know, are will determine that what's best for you. But it does make it a little more of a um, split off to the side because now we went from being an individual and needing one set of information to now needing your documents, your entity ID numbers, you know, are there other people in the entity with you? Like I said, as a partnership or LLC, is there just a single member or are there other members with you? So those things all need to be vetted through and we have to run searches against the entity, make sure taxes aren't due if it's already an existing entity or not. So there's things we do that we'll get to in a minute, but clearing title, it's called. <laughs> so we want to make sure everything is set up accurately and deed it correctly. Okay, great. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, uh, and that's certainly not only as a, a title decision, that's just an important decision for a developer to make, whether they want to use their LLC or an individual. Yeah. Um, but, uh, okay, so next, uh, let's talk about initiating the title process and say you, you purchase this property with your LLC and you're, you're ready to go and, and you reach out to a title company, say it's uh, the wonderful H&H &H Settlement Services. Um, what, what's the, the first step? Is it just emailing them saying, hey, I want to, you know, close this property, help me out? Okay, this is me. Um, we're going to bounce between Christina and I. So um, the first step to initiate the title process would be to um, email our office, and I'm going to keep pushing H&H. &H. So you want to email H&H &H a copy of the fully executed agreement of sale. Um, I also tell my clients, the more information up front we get, the better. For instance, the buyer's information, the seller information, who their lender is, which will be Jumpstart Germantown. If there's any real estate agents involved, you know, we would want all their information. Um, as soon as the property is under contract, reach out to 
reach out to us and hopefully reach out to us via email and with the okay also yeah you guys are good to go i got through everything sellers on board i want you to order it and then give us the okay to order it and that's it that's all we need okay and and basically as simple as an email right and they should be doing that before settlement or as soon as it gets under contract well you won't be able to go to settlement unless you have a title search Yeah. yeah That's what I meant. I'm sorry. Should they make, should they do that before they get it under contract or after they get it under contract? After they get under contract. When everybody's on board, all the inspection issues have, you know, contingencies have been satisfied and buyer and seller are both like, all right, we got through that hurdle. Now let's get through the next hurdle. Um, and, you know, and it normally takes now, nowadays, Philadelphia is a little slower with their searches, but I would say, you know, seven to 10 business day turnaround. Um, so a lot of investors are like telling these sellers, Hey, I can close in 30 days. Yes, that can happen at H and H as long as title is clear. And as long as we have all the information for all parties, yeah. the work that the, we're wasting our time, if we're kind of have to keep tracking down a seller and trying to clear title, you know, Hey, Mr. Buyer, who's your lender? Like things like that. So that's why anything up front, um, all the information up front is just perfect. Okay. The more, the better, I tell everybody. Right. Um, and and you, you both have mentioned this term a couple times, and it's title search. And that sounds like the bulk of the, the title insurance process. What does that mean? For somebody who doesn't know what title search is, what does that mean and why is it performed? So that is what we need to do our job is a title search. So we work with vendors who are title examiners that go out to the county courthouses. So based on whatever county the property is located in that you're purchasing, we hire a vendor um, to go out. They do, as Maureen had mentioned earlier, a 60-year search. So what that means is they physically go into the courthouse and or electronically, because some counties are more modernized now and actually have things online, and they'll search the records for that property based off of the parcel number. So every property has a parcel number the same way every person has a social security number. That parcel number, regardless of an address change from 911 or a street change, anything like that, will always remain the same. So we search based off a parcel number. We confirm that the person who's listed as the seller on the agreement of sale is actually the person who is vested in title, who has ownership. So that's our first defense. Are the right people selling this property? Are the right people signing the contracts? Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes to what Maureen said, you know, talking about fast settlements, especially for investors. Everybody likes to have a quick settlement because it helps you get, you know, closed on, on the deal faster for your agreement of sale. But sometimes um, we have things with power of attorneys or estates and things like that. And that does cause a little bit more of a longer process for us. Quite often, not all the time, but quite often. Mm-hmm. Let me stop you there, Christina. What? How common is it for there to be discrepancies and that sort of thing? You know, is it? Um, it's not real common, but sometimes what we see more common than not is that um, somebody's selling the property and they're having like their daughter or their son be a power of attorney for them because they're elderly, and so the son may have signed off with a power of attorney, and we don't have information for the mother and father. So we actually need to speak with them, make sure they're still alive. And this isn't a power of attorney that the son has. And even though they're dead, he's selling the property or the son's selling the property with the power of attorney because they gave it to him years ago in hopes that, you know, he would use it correctly, but he's using it unbeknownst to them to sell their property. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, there are the kind of things that seem like really that would never happen. It happens. <laughs> and so we need to, you know, have those conversations. So it doesn't happen a lot, but it happens enough. And that's what title insurance is for to confirm. We confirm we have the right people who are um, in title vested deeded who are selling the property and the people that signed your agreement of sale have the authority to do so. Um, when, when does the title search begin? When, when does that? Yes. So we start that pretty much right away. Um, when, as soon as those um, contracts come into us and we know that, you know, everybody's on board as Maureen said, and usually that is usually after that 10 day turn time with the inspections and things like that. Um, we'll, reach out to our vendor, we'll ask them to go do the search. They search the records, they search for mortgages and judgments, and um, they search the bathonetary and the register of wills to look for estates and things like that. And they look to discover all these matters and then they report back to us what they found and then we create what is called a title commitment. And that commitment is our commitment to you as the borrower, the buyer, that, um, if these things are satisfied or these requirements are met, then we will be able to insure your property for you called free and clear of any, you know, anything. And then we issue the policy. So the type of things that come up are mortgages. Sometimes there's a mortgage from the prior owner. So if John sold to Jack and Jack goes to sell the property now, but the mortgage from John is still on there, we have to do work to get that removed because of course, you know, it should have been removed in the first place with the, when, you know, Jack bought it, but John's property uh, mortgage was still in there. So those are prior owner type things. They're a little more cumbersome, depends. Sometimes we can work through that. And again, that's why it's important to have title insurance because you would go back to the prior insurer to get that removed. Right. Um, so it found, so just, well, let me ask it this way. From my perspective, um, you yeah. know, I see a lot of projects you know, go through the title process and I see a lot of emails back and forth. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I would say, you know, more often than not, that's what's holding up settlement. Yeah. It's usually something from the past that was not resolved or was resolved, but either an attorney didn't file what they needed to file at the county to satisfy the um, judgment or an old lender or a private you know, sometimes you have sellers giving mortgages back to buyers. So a seller, seller take back, it's called. Sometimes that seller never signs a mortgage satisfaction. So maybe the money was received to them, but it's still leaning the property because everything becomes public record. It gets filed and recorded. So there's judgments. We have to work with attorneys. We have to work, you know, to get things taken care of so that when everybody on this call purchases a property, they won't have to worry about that when they go to sell it or five years, two years, you know, mm -hmm. 10 months after rehab, whatever it is. So, so who, um, who, who are the power players in the title search process? I guess is the borrower involved in that at all? Or is that all in the title company or, or I guess? Yeah. So primarily the borrowers are involved, but not as the primary borrowers are involved because we're informing them what's against the property. You know, if you're buying a property in the city, it will have different um, exceptions they're referred to, but basically restrictions on the property than maybe something out in the county. Something out in the county um, might have, you know, you can't have horses on the property or you can't put a fence up, you know, things like that. Or something in the city, 
may be um, a lot less restrictive and it might just talk about a shared driveway or an alleyway that runs behind it. So those are things that this commitment, this search from our vendors, um, the abstractors would reflect and we would issue. So it's very important. A lot of people don't realize the importance of that commitment. They just think, okay, I'm getting title insurance. But you really um, need to be educated in what you're purchasing because you may have intentions on putting a garage, you know, expanding a garage or putting a shed up and there might be restrictions on the property that don't allow you to do that. Mm -hmm. So it's really vital that you communicate after that commitment is issued out, you know, mm -hmm. given to you. If you're not understanding it, just ask the questions of the title company. And, you know, if there, we have licensed title agents who have all continued education and have been licensed in, you know, that's quite an accomplishment in itself, but they're very knowledgeable. So they're able to look at those things with you and, and review them with you. We're not attorneys and we're not going to, you know, go over all of to make decisions for you, but we'll give you some guidance as to what some of that means. Great. But that's why it's so important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It certainly sounds important. And if there's, if there's one motivation for somebody to, to go through the title process and make sure they do it right, it's, it's to, to save time for the people in 40 years who are going to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so just to, to wrap up the title search process, what, what happens once it's clear? Um, or I guess don't. Yeah. So I didn't quite finish answering your question because I got off track. So I apologize. But primarily we work with the seller because clearing title means we're making sure back taxes, judgments, mortgages, anything that the seller has leaned against the property is being addressed um, that those matters are being resolved and that they're taken care of before settlement. And then we'll get to what settlement looks like. But when you walk in that room, you should be walking in that room feeling very comfortable that this is just going to be the finalization of it all. And really, you should never hear from us again. And we shouldn't hear from you <laughs> until the next transaction when you're purchasing your next property. Yeah. That means we did our job correctly. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the very few uh, business relationships that, that yeah. there's complete silence. That means you did everything right, right? Yeah, correct. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so before we move on to the next topic, I just want to say thank you to everybody who has been submitting uh, questions. They look great and uh, keep them coming. Um, so, so, and like I said, we'll get to those after our conversation in probably around 15, 20 minutes or so. Um, Christina was saying before we got on the call, she said, I don't know how we're going to talk for an hour. We don't have as much content. And here we are barely halfway through our list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't know our jumping eyes, Christina. They, they, they <laughs> <up>. <laughs> um, the next question I have for you is, is about the day of settlement. Or, I'm sorry, let me back up. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about, Christine, you just covered how the title search goes. And, and once the title comes clear, uh, what happens next? You know, um, or... I think that's me. So once title is clear and um, the lender has all our information, the title commitment, um, and the buyer and seller are ready to go, we set up the close date. They say, okay, well, the agreement of sale says closing needs to be on or before uh, April 25th. And I need to set this up to close April 25th. And I say, you know what? Let me pull your file. Oh, we're good. We're clear. I got everything I needed from the seller. Your lender has all the proper documentations from our office. Let's do it. Let's set it up. What works work, What works best for you, Mr. Buyer, who's ultimately our client? Um, the docs, the documents that we produce 
And it's actually the most important document is what Christina had just mentioned. It's the title commitments, the actual commitment um, from our underwriter to you. Um, and then we, pre we prepare the next important document is the deed, the deed to the property, which basically is signed by the seller. And it's deeding the property from, from the seller, Jack Smith, to um, you know, Jane Doe. And that Jack Smith signs the property, signs the deed um, at closing, along with a couple affidavits, uh, basically stating that, yes, he is the person who is on this deed. He, um, you know, doesn't, you know, there's no outstanding mortgages that we don't know about, you know. Um, those documents, very, very important. We want both, well, pre-COVID, we wanted the seller to meet with our title agents at, at settlement. So back in the day, we used to have a settlement. Seller would sit on one side of the table, buyer sits on another side. Sometimes the lender comes and then you have a title agent at the head of the table who's also a notary public. So once those documents are signed in our presence, we notarize them. And that, that's pretty much official. Um, what's the next question here is? So yeah, I think you, I think you jumped ahead to settlement there, which is good because that's where I was headed next. Yes, and that's that's Christina's. Sorry, lost to steal my thunder. I'll tell you. <laughs> oh yeah, I do. So we've made it to so we've made it settlement, and I like what yeah. I, I like how you put it um, that when you're walking into the settlement room, you should feel confident that everything's yes. settled. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I I'll let you answer the question, Christina. But what happens yeah. if there's that's not set in stone and, and will happen, you know, like what should people expect? And, uh, yeah. So it should be a day of celebration, a moment of celebration, a time of celebration, because you're purchasing the property that you have great intentions for, you know, whatever your plans are. And, you know, you meet it this far, right? You qualified for your loan, you negotiate it with the seller, all of those things, you got all the repairs and, and whatever you did to get to this point. So, that in amongst itself is quite a feat, right? Um, so at the day of closing, obviously we want your money, right? <laughs> so you're gonna bring all your money. Um, that's my favorite part sometimes. But it's actually when, like Maureen said, everything is signed. So the deed transfer, that is the most vital document along with a mortgage. Um, the deed will be signed by the sellers either at the time of closing or prior based on you know how our, our world is revolving. Um, but that deed transfer then will will record right after closing. But that is the document that will take the property from the current owner into you for your celebration of having this home now. Um, the signing documents have all of your costs leading up to closing, probably about three days before closing, sometimes a week if it's a cash deal. And depending on the lender, you'll get your closing cost. So you know what all of your fees are and we are regulated by the state. So title insurance fees are based off of our uh, rating bureau, the Pennsylvania State Rating Bureau and the New Jersey State Rating Bureau. Um, and then the keys are exchanged, garage door openers are exchanged. Um, you know, hopefully the walkthrough went well. This is when we tend to find that um, as a title company, we are sometimes put in the position of uh, negotiation holdouts. I like to refer to it as maybe the buyer and seller had a dispute over something for um, a repair, um, some kind of, 
you know, credit because cleaning needed to be done and not everything was out of the house. Um, oftentimes that time is used, that time of settlement is used because it's like uh, strong arming time. <laughs> it's not really the time or place for it, but that does happen. And we're often put in a position where we just are sort of the silent partner at that point. Um, but for the most part, you should just come in, sign your documents. You should be in and out of there within an hour. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And then directly after settlement, you kind of gave the, the sneak peek of there, but then you wait for the, the documents to come. Uh, you said, I believe, six to eight weeks for, for some documents. Mm -hmm. to yeah. So right after closing, we send electronically because um, primarily almost every county that we work in, except for some of the far western counties, are done electronically through the courthouse. We submit things to be recorded. So the deed gets submitted pretty much the same day as closing or the day after. And um, it takes a little while for the courthouse to put that on public record, but it does become public record and the ownership goes in. The original deed and the owner's policy, which is what you're paying for, that covers you for any losses um, for prior owner. And um, that will all come to you in a pretty little package, either via email or through the U.S. mail based on how everybody likes to have their documents saved. We do like to send things electronically. We send everything securely, but we do like to send it electronically because then you just have it forever. And the paper deeds aren't what they used to be years ago, where you actually had it and you kept it and you took it when you sold the property to the title company and the title company would take that. And it's not that way anymore. The, the age of electronics, um, you know, has just changed everything. And it's, once it becomes recorded in public record, it's, you don't have to have a physical deed anymore. Okay. Well, I, I, uh, Christina, I'm very familiar with the physical packages because right next to my the place where I work at the office, there's a huge stack of them that are waiting to be filed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happens. Yeah. After a year being in the office, we got to catch up somehow. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's right. cool. Now I have some context of what that big stack of papers is over there. <laughs> If you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with Maureen Graham and Christina Rossner from H&H Settlement Services about the title process for investment properties. Thank you for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. And I hope you enjoy the discussion. Um, okay, so, so next, just a, a few more closing questions here and then we'll move into the Q&A. Um, you, you mentioned it, Christina, um, and, and maybe Maureen, you can answer about how the title process or is a legal practice. So it's kind of like boilerplate. Everybody has to do it the same way. And, and there's not like one that's going to be cut in so many corners that they're going to drive a bunch of business. Right. Um, it's, it's a standard practice. So for, I want to hear from you guys. And obviously it's going to be, be a bit biased towards your own service. But um, what, what characteristics of a title company should people look for to help them with a decision to choose one? Um, you know, uh, uh, obviously the, the practice is standard and, and the legal matters aren't going to differentiate much, but I, I'm sure there's other things that matter too. Um, and what, what's your perspective on that? I mean, for me, um, definitely how long has the company been around? Um, the, you know, are they reputable? Are they answering your emails on a timely manner? Are they answering your phone calls? Um, those types of things. I also tell everybody... Um, are they answering your questions? Um, 
I also tell everybody to um, shop it around, shop title insurance around. As a buyer, you have an option to do that. Shop it around like you would car insurance. Um, if you go to a title company and your title insurance is $1,200 from title company A, title company B, and title company C, and you go to title company D, and the title insurance rate is now $800. Well, that would be a little suspicious to me because you, the title company is not permitted to discount title insurance. As Christina said earlier, it is state regulated. We cannot mess with those fees. Um, we do quotes, title quotes for a lot of our clients. They're going to be like, hey, um, I heard about you guys. I saw your website. Love everything I, I read about you. But I'm now buying a $350,000 home in Montgomery County. Can you give me, give me a quote? Because I'm working. I have another title company. Just compare the numbers. Sometimes I see them and it's like, well, wow, this company charged me A, B, and C for all these miscellaneous charges. You guys are not doing that. So those type of things. You want to watch out for the secret costs for sure. But definitely shop it around and make sure it's a reputable, honest, you know, the communications there, the servicing the client, answering their questions, answering their calls and emails on a timely manner too. Great. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Thank you, Maureen. Um, and my last question, and maybe you guys can each chime in here, um, and it's okay if they're just a summary of what the points we've already covered, but I, I just want to know any final advice um, that you have for the, the people in this call um, to ensure a smooth title process. Because like we, we covered, it can get held up and it can, uh, you know, there can be various things that, that people do, um, you know, nefariously screw it up. <laughs> um, and obviously that's out of the borrower's control, but what, what is under their control, you know, they're, they're the very, or what, what variables can they control really um, that, that'll ensure a smooth title process? Um, communication. Communication is the, is the number one thing. Communicating to and communicating from, right? So when we request information, communicating back, and when you need something, us communicating back with you in a prompt manner, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you are doing an entity, have your entity set up prior to not the day before. Um, you know, it's uh, negotiate prior to give your lender all the documents they need so that that process goes as quickly as possible. Be prepared, be informed, ask your lender up front, what are you going to be looking for from me? Um, what type of documents are needed? Um, that's my main thing. Really, communication is key because it's just so vital. <laughs> that it keeps the process moving. You know, when when somebody can't reach someone or you're, somebody's being unresponsive, it kind of puts everything at a halt and it delays our timing. And then I'm always concerned about meeting the settlement date that's on the agreement of sale, right? Um, because it's not just everyone on this call is a purchaser, it's also the seller that we are working with. So we have other hurdles and then we're working with hand in hand with your lender, with Germantown. So, you know, that is all vital. And definitely visit our website, hhsstitle.com, and you can get a quote off of there for yourself at any point in time as well. Yep. It sounds like Christina covered it, unless you have anything to add, Maureen. No, that's it. That's, that's it. And, and I, I'd just like to say that all those points that Christina hit on apply to a lender as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, they help the lender process go just as smoothly and, and mm -hmm. 
communication applies to anything. Um, so, so I think that's a great answer. Um, yeah, all right. Well, thank you, Christina Marine, and I think we'll, we're good to move into the Q&A here. But, but I just want to thank you guys for, for spending some time, and, and I appreciate you being here. Well, thank, thank you. you. Okay, so I'm actually going to start with the question Nyenye had emailed about or a couple hours ago. I mean, he said, hello, Derek and team. I hope you're well. I have some questions for the H&H Jumpinar. Um, and it looks like he's just going for some uh, definitions here. And he's saying, what do the following mean? How are they different? So we'll start. We covered title insurance already. So that's the insurance on the title of the property. What about a warranty deed? What about a warranty deed? What was the question? What does it mean? What is the term of it? What's the term? Yeah. Yeah, do, do, do you have an answer for that or no? <laughs> well, I mean, you have a special warranty deed that we normally give here. Um, I It's just basically, I mean, I don't even have a... It conveys, it conveys the interest of the owner, and it's referred to as a special warranty deed. Special warranty deed. All of their interest, their heirs' interest in any rights in the property. Okay. And what about a, uh, a quiet title? Have you ever heard of that? Yes. What is that? So um, some people do that if, oh, gosh, I haven't done An one of outstanding interest. Outstanding interest, yeah. right. So if, um, if somebody gets away, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Well, if, if I think it, it, if you have a property in a, an estate is selling it, it, the seller is now deceased and, um, there, the will leaves the property to five of his children. Well, only four of them can be located. We have no idea where brother number five is. We, you can, in order to get that clear, a quiet um, title action would have to be filed. And I think what they do is they put advertisements in the newspaper um, to say, hey, this property, we're trying to locate Alan Smith and I think it's it's kind of costly to do that, mm -hmm. um, and it takes some time. And you it takes want a lot of time to help you. Yeah, who specializes in that? Okay. Yep, you definitely want to go to an attorney who specializes in that. Gotcha. Okay, cool. And yeah, just the other terms we had already covered. He, he was wondering about title clearance and title search, which, which we, we covered very well. So um, I think we'll switch over to the Q and A on here now. Thank you, for, uh, Nyan Ye, for those questions. Uh, but the first one from tonight comes from Kimberly, and uh, they are wondering who initiates getting title insurance, the buyer or the seller? And this should be a layup, right? <laughs> yes, the buyer initiates the state of Pennsylvania. The buyer chooses the title company. New Jersey as well. Exactly. The so Pennsylvania and New Jersey, the buyer initiates, and then it's it, their it, choice. Okay. Gotcha. And that's now, yeah, sometimes a real estate agent will, you know, say, oh, I'll help you. And that's great, but it is the buyer's choice. Okay, got it. Um, the next question comes from Byron, and he's wondering, is there a recommended baseline amount for title insurance, or is the amount determined by the purchase amount? Oh, that's a fantastic question, because we didn't hit on that, how we didn't get on that right charged. Now. Yeah, so we did tell you it's state regulated, and those rates are based on the purchase price or the loan amount, which is ever higher. So sometimes somebody will get an FHA loan and sometimes an FHA loan is higher than the sale price because of the fees being wrapped into it. Um, so it would be based on the higher of the two. But you could primarily in this scenario with 
um, your program, the people on this call would primarily just know that it's based on the purchase price. And I know that you do some deeds that are $10. So in that scenario, we would take what the county considers the fair market value. Um, and how that is determined is based off of how the property is assessed. Whatever the assessed value of the property, which is also um, how they determine your real estate taxes from the assessed value, mm -hmm. the counties, each county individually has their own formula for um, transfer tax calculations based on their, what they refer to as a common level ratio number. And it becomes like an algebra project. So it's the assessed value times the common level ratio equals the fair market value for the county. And that is where they would place the fee if it is not um, an arm's length transaction with a solid um, value to it. Okay. Cool. And the, uh, the next question, or thanks, Byron. That was a great question. Next one comes from Lydia and she's wondering, can a real estate attorney pull title insurance? When should a person get a real estate attorney versus when should they get a title company? Is there a difference? And if so, what is it? Um, I mean, you can have a real estate attorney. They're reviewing your agreement of sale between yourself and the seller. Um, that real estate attorney can, if he owns a title company, he can pull the title search. We work with some real estate attorneys that say, okay, Maureen, I have an agreement. Here's the, here's everything. Can you do the title search? So we get orders directly from real estate attorneys. Mm -hmm. um, you can have both. You don't, you don't need to have an attorney. Like I think it's North Jersey. Mm -hmm. You have, you have to have an attorney to do title insurance up there, but Pennsylvania, you don't need a title, a real estate attorney. Um, you would go to, you would shop title insurance around. You would go on H and H's website and see what the rates look like for your particular purchase. And then you give us the okay to order it. Right. If you have any questions regarding the title commitment and some recorded documents like easements and um, restrictions, as Christina mentioned earlier, and we can't answer those questions because technically we're not attorneys. We do say in the past, I've said to a buyer, you know what? I really highly suggest you have a real estate attorney review this title commitment and all the exceptions that go along with it. So Great. hopefully Lydia, that I answered that question. Yeah, I think so. Um, and the next question comes from uh, an unnamed individual. They asked, does the process change when there is a wholesale assignment assignment of contract involved? <laughs> yes, sounds hey, like- That's all you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not fond of wholesale no, assignments. Um, that is, sometimes a um, tricky area. We must follow in our uh, guidelines properly. If there's an assignment that there are two actual closings that the seller is aware of the assignment, if there's fees being paid for the assignment, we make sure that the seller is aware of that. Um, we just want to ensure that there are no issues after the fact. We also need to get underwriter approval to, to ensure wholesale transactions um, before we move forward at all. Okay, gotcha. Um, next question comes from Rhonda and she's wondering, um, 
Does your title search or does your company do title searches for other states? I mean, we, hmm. so we can refer you because we are underwritten. So Maureen made a um, comparison earlier about auto insurance or homeowners insurance, how that's yearly and title insurance is only a one time in, at the time in which you purchase the property. So we are a title agent. H&H is a title agent and we have underwriters and we underwrite with the Fidelity family. The, um, that's one of the top underwriters. We also underwrite with Old Republic. So we have resources within there to help facilitate getting a search in another state and then to refer people to another title company in that state because you mm -hmm. have to be licensed in the state to conduct the closings. You don't have to be licensed to conduct a search necessarily, depends on the state. Um, but like I said, our company doesn't physically do the searches. There are experts who um, that is their, their job, their expertise is to examine titles at the county courthouses. So we would just help connect you with the right people. Great. Sounds good. Thank you, Rhonda. And the next question comes from uh, Kimberly and she's wondering, are judgments common? I'm purchasing a house that title search found 150 judgments. Yeah. What's his name? John Smith? Yeah, his last name Smith. She asked, should I be alarmed? Not if his last name is Smith or Jones. Yeah. <laughs> you will find that many. Well, and that's a really good point. So those 100 judgments, somebody in our office would sit and vet through each and every one of those judgments to look at the dockets to see, does it really apply to somebody that has a similar enough name and or address to match the person per that is selling the property that is in ownership? Because, you know, um, there's a gazillion Christina's, right? So there's actually another Christina Rossner, which I found out recently, which was crazy. Um, oh, we're in trouble. So yeah, so when you, you realize that there's more people with that name, you know, they have, their judgment could be anything from a probation to, um, you know, a divorce. It could be anything. And we tend to look then dig even further. And that's why I said earlier, you know, it should be when you walk into the closing, all of this is resolved because behind the scenes, our office is doing all the detective work and communicating with everybody to make sure that when you get to that closing table, that celebration, that you're sitting there nice and calm, that those 100 judgments have been vetted through. And you're not gonna be coming back to us, we're not gonna be hearing from you that one of those judgments really was valid against the property and we accepted it as being unvalid. Okay. Um, my next question here comes from Sherry and she's wondering what happens if, if the seller asks the buyer to hold their possessions until the seller has secured a storage location? What are the risks associated with this practice? Is that something you guys are familiar with or have ever come across? No. So it's probably the something you want to work out with their agent, the real estate agent. Um, yeah. Because once you take ownership, you really um, want to understand your liability and your liability of the property with your homeowner's insurance, your liability if somebody gets hurt, um, you know, trying to come in and get their things, your liability if they damage something, taking it back out later after you already own the property. So that's really something you probably want to work out ahead of time and um, work with your agent to either do some kind of rental back or um, lease or something. 
but you would you would want to be very conscientious and cautious about the things that are involved with that. And there are things with regards to obtaining a mortgage too that you are stating you're moving into the property or whether or not it's investment or primary residence. Mm -hmm. So you want to be sure of what you're doing and what you're signing. Okay. Um, my next question comes from Chris Holland and we just have a few more here. Um, he's wondering, what do you do for clients that do not want to sign documents in the office? I'm sure it has been a common theme over the past year and a half, right? <laughs> we're, we're pros on that. <laughs> so yeah, we can, I mean, we can, um, if for instance, for cash deals that we do, um, we would handle that remotely. The buyer would sign all his documents in the presence of a notary in San Francisco, um, get and ship all the documents back to our office. The buyer would wire um, their closing costs to our office. The seller would, would be at his realtor's office and meet with the realtor's notary public, sign everything. Once we have the original deed in hand and buyer and seller signed and notarized documents and the money is in, we close. Um, yeah, so you, I mean, I remember in March of 2020, I was in my parking lot more than I was in my office doing closings because yeah. they would stay in their car. We would be socially distanced outside. Uh, buyers would be two cars down, two, two parking spots down, and I would be running back and forth. We can get it done. Also, if a seller doesn't know of a, of a notary, I don't know of a notary, where do I go? We can. We have a um, mobile, notary, mobile notary service um, that we can hire for that type of transaction to meet up with the seller. I've gone in the past, before COVID, nursing homes to meet up with Anna Smith, you know, um, to have her sign it because she couldn't get out of a nursing home. So. Okay. All right. Great. Um, and our, our second to last question here comes from Keith. He's wondering, sometimes a property description will state a buyer must use XYZ title company. Why is that? Is that a red flag? Go ahead, Christina. So probably referring to an agreement of sale, um, or when he says property description, maybe it's in the MLS. I'm assuming that's what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. um, it's not necessarily a red flag. There are often times where maybe there was an issue with the title and a title company has already worked hard to clear it up for them. So they already have all the information and in their mind they figure, oh, well, they already did the work. So it's just as easy, we'll just close over there. Again, um, you have the choice. So you can choose whoever you want. Sometimes I will be honest, if that's in an agreement for some yeah. reason, it will become more difficult for you to choose somebody else because they'll, they'll make it difficult with the communication for us as they be title company, I'll say, you know, the, the other title company. Um, I do get concerned when I see it as sometimes, you know, you have to protect yourself. If you don't champion for yourself, nobody else will, right? So why is it, what is it? And are you in being insured by a reputable underwriter and title company? Mm -hmm. um, if, you're, if you're confident that they're reputable and you're confident that the underwriter they're using is a A-plus underwriter, you know, based on the um, readings, then I don't think there's a risk. 
But if you're not certain and you just have that gut feeling, go the other direction. All right, cool. And like I had said earlier, you have the right as a buyer to shop it around. Yeah. So you can be like, you know what? I, I'm not going to agree with this scratch it, but I want to shop it around. Mm -hmm. That's my, that's my prerogative. So shop right. it around. Great. Yeah. Great question, Keith. And I think great answer, Christina. Um, our last question tonight is coming from Kimberly and she is asking, does the seller or the buyer pay the judgments? Does the seller what? Does the seller or the buyer pay the judgment um, on a property? Well, that depends on who the judgment is against. Okay. Um, if the buyer has a judgment on him because he didn't pay some parking tickets, well, the buyer has to pay it. Um, if it's a seller judgment, seller pays it. I will tell you, I have seen negotiations over that where maybe um, a seller doesn't really have the funds to pay it, but the buyer still wants the house. Hmm. They'll sometimes pay that for them just to continue on to be able to sell the property and to purchase the home. That concludes my conversation with Maureen and Christina from H&H Settlement Services about the title insurance process for investment properties. The interviews on this program are recorded during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series, which takes place via Zoom webinar every Monday night at 7 p.m. And if you'd like to participate in the live Q&A with our guest, be sure to head to jumpstartgermantown.com events and register for next week's Jumpinar. And if you're interested in starting a Jumpstart program in your own community, you can visit gojumpstart.org and see our how-to guide and open source training workbook. Thank you so much for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. And be sure to tune in next week. 